First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, today is the fourth week in this five-week series called Rhythms. And we've been talking about biblical, God-given rhythms for life that after the crazy year that was 2020, we need to reestablish in our lives in 2021. Uh, So far in this series, we've talked about the rhythm of our uh, devotional life with God. We've talked about the rhythm of worshiping with the people of God. We've talked about the rhythm of our family life. Uh, Next week, we're going to wrap this series up by talking about the rhythms of work and rest. Uh, But today, we're looking at the rhythms of serving and sharing Christ. And if this morning you are a follower of Christ, if you have been saved by His grace, then you and I are not here to live for ourselves. We are not here to serve ourselves. Uh, We are not here to make a name for ourselves. We are here to serve the one who saved us. And we are here to share about Him with others so that they might be saved as well. Like with every week in this series, we're going to see these rhythms of serving and sharing Christ in Colossians chapters 3 and 4. And so let's read the Word of God as we get started. Colossians 3, and we're going to start in verse 12. And this is what we find there. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, Humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Skipping down to chapter 4, look with me at verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Let's pray. Father, we do pray today that you would speak to us through your word. Father, we want to serve you in 2021. We want to share about you in 2021. Father, may you help us by your grace to leave this place today with a passion, Father, to share and to serve our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, have your way in our hearts even now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Let's jump right in this morning. As I said, there are two rhythms we're looking at today, serving and sharing Christ. Certainly these two rhythms are related to one another, but let's look at them one by one. And so first off, let's look at the rhythm of serving Christ, serving Christ. Now, I want to be clear when I, when I talk about serving Christ. I think sometimes as, as believers, we hear that word uh, serve, and where we go in our minds, kind of the place we jump to, is we, we think about whatever role we have, uh, particularly in the local church. We think, you know, well, I serve Christ, you know, I, I sing in the choir, or I help in the nursery, or I'm a door greeter. That's the way that I serve, and certainly that's a part of serving Christ. But in the Bible, that, that idea of serving Christ is way, way bigger than that. It, it, it's really more uh, about who we are than it is about something that we do. It's our identity as a servant of Christ. In fact, if you keep your finger there in Colossians 3, but turn a couple pages back to the book of Philippians, right before Colossians, and look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And look at the way that Paul, who wrote the letter of Colossians, look at the way he introduces himself in this letter. Philippians 1, 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. That's how Paul saw himself, that he was a servant, that he was a bondservant of the Lord Jesus. And so are we if we know the Lord here today. And so when we come to Colossians 3 and we start reading in verse 12, you know, we don't find there like a directory of all the ways that we can serve in the local church. But what we do find there are some of the most important aspects about serving Christ. And the first one is what we've just been talking about. The most important aspect of serving Christ is who you and I are. Who we are. Look look with me at verse 12 of chapter 3, the way that begins. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Paul is writing to this church in this city of Colossae. He's writing to Christians And he says three beautiful things there about who these Christians are at the start of that verse. He says, you are the elect of God, that you were chosen by God for salvation before the world even began. He says, you are holy. That means that you were set apart to live differently for God's purposes. And then he says, you are beloved, that you are God's special people, that you are dear to him, that God loves you. And maybe there's a Christian who's here today that just needs to be reminded of those three things. You you are chosen by God. You have been set apart by God for his purpose, and you are loved by God, that he loves you. And because these things are true of us, look at the end of verse 12. Paul says, Now put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And so there in verse 12, he uses that language of putting on. It's a metaphor of clothing, of taking off certain clothes and putting on other clothes. If you look back earlier in chapter 3 in verse 8, Paul writes that Now that they are new in Christ, there's certain things, and you can see the list there starting in verse 8, things that they need to put off, things that were a part of their old lifestyle before they came to know Christ. He says that that stuff is like old, stinky, dirty, filthy clothes that need to be taken off. Uh, The other night, uh, my family and I were at my sister-in-law's house, and they are putting in a, a pool. 
And, and so right where they're putting in that pool, they've dug out the huge hole for the pool there, and there's this huge, I mean ginormous, mountain of dirt that is there in their backyard. And so my four uh, little boys were there, and, and I, I don't think as a boy, I don't think it gets anything better than playing with a ginormous mound of dirt. I mean, I think that is the, it's better than Disney World. It is the apex of being a child. And so just watching them running up that hill, sliding down that hill, they were, they were there for a couple hours doing that. And you can imagine by the end of that, how dirty, how filthy their clothes were. Those clothes needed to come off. They needed to be hosed down something fierce. And the good news of the Bible is that God loves us no matter what we've done. No matter how filthy, no matter how dirty our clothes are because of the way that we have lived, all the sin that we have committed, that's why Jesus came. And when he went to the cross, he took that filth, he took that dirt upon himself, and he paid the price that our sins deserve. And when a person puts their trust in Jesus, he takes that dirt away. And he washes us clean. That's good news for all of us. And those old clothes come off, but not only do the old clothes come off, Paul says there's some new clothes that need to be put on. And putting on those new clothes is not just something we do once and then we never have to do it again. It's a daily choice that we have to make to keep on taking off the old, to not go back to that pile of dirt that we were in before, and every day to choose to put on the new. And so starting in verse 12, he really gives us kind of the Christian's wardrobe. These are the clothes that are hanging in our closet that every day we need to reach to that hanger. We need to put these things on. He says, first of all, you need to put on tender mercies. The word tender mercy refers to, to compassion, and, and it's a compassion that is deep down. It's a, it's a gut-level compassion, the kind of compassion that Jesus has for all of us. And then Paul says we need to put on kindness. But one person described that kindness as a sweetness of disposition. It comes out in every conversation that you have, the way that you treat other people. He says next we need to put on humility and meekness. Those two virtues were really not held in high regard in the pagan culture of Paul's day. They're not really held in high regard today, but they are held in high regard in Scripture. We're called to be humble. We're called to put the needs of others before our own needs. The word meekness there means gentleness. That's a quality that Jesus Christ had. It's, it's not weakness, of course. No, meekness or gentleness is strength, but it's strength under control. It's strength that is gentle with others rather than running them over to get what we want. And then he says we also need to put on uh, the clothing of being long-suffering. Being long-suffering is the opposite of having a short temper. It means we don't have a short fuse. We don't fly off the handle at others. In fact, in verse 13, it gives us a couple of descriptions of how a long-suffering person will behave. It says, first of all, they will bear with others. That means we're going to put up with others. Even sometimes when there are things about others that maybe irritate us, we put up with that because we love them. Just as we know they're probably putting up with some things about us that might irritate them, we bear with others in love. But also when someone sins against us, when we have a complaint against somebody else, that happens to all of us, he says we forgive them. That's what a Christian does. We don't hold on to grudges. Anybody can hold on to a grudge, but as one person said, 
a Christian is marked because he does not. And the reason why we don't is because, as it says here, Christ has forgiven us. Christ has forgiven us of a greater offense than we will ever be asked to forgive someone else of. And so, friend, as you look at that list of qualities, that list of clothing in verses 12 and 13, which one of those articles of clothing are you not wearing right now? And I don't know which one the Lord might reveal to you, but, but whatever he reveals to you, talk to him about it from your heart. Even right now, say, God, I want to serve you. I want to serve you with my life, but I know that starts with who I am. That starts with my character. That starts with me putting on the clothing that you've given to me as a new person in Christ. But God, right now, right now you've called me to be a blank person, whatever that word is, a forgiving person, a kind person, a gentle person, and say, God, but right now I'm really not that most of the time. So God, would you work in my heart? Would you change my heart? And make me more like Christ in that area so that I might be able to serve you the way that you've called me to. One of the most important aspects of serving Christ is who you are. Another one is how you love. How you love. Look at verse 14. He says, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Above all of these qualities that we've talked about so far, he says we need to put on love. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because in 1 Corinthians 13 that we know as the love chapter, remember what Paul said there? He, he said there, it doesn't matter what you believe. It, it doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how many sacrifices you make. He says, if you don't love, it doesn't mean anything. In Galatians chapter 5, love is at the head of the list of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. All the other fruit of the Holy Spirit, some of which we've just read about, kindness and gentleness and all the rest, all of that is the byproduct of love in our life. It is the chief virtue of the Christian life. But notice he says, put on love, and then he says, which is the bond of perfection? And by that, I don't just think he means that when a person is loving, that it binds all of the other virtues together perfectly in their life, although it does. I think also he's saying here that when we are loving, it binds all of us together in a perfect bond of unity, because that's really the context here. He's writing to a church. He's writing to a group of Christians that were being attacked by false teaching that was threatening to tear them apart. And he's saying to them that if you will put on love, God's supernatural love, it will bind you together. John MacArthur says that this supernatural love is like the glue that holds the church together as one. And that really brings me to the next important aspect of serving Christ. It's about who you are. It's about how you love, but it's also about who you do it with, who you serve with. Because we weren't just called to serve Christ on our own. We were called to serve Christ together as a church family. Because that's God's plan. Because he wants us to serve together. It's so important that we remain one and unified in the Lord. We don't allow anything to come between us in the family of God. That's really what verse 15 is about. Look at that with me. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. When he says, let the peace of God rule in your heart, that word for rule is really an athletic term. It, it refers to somebody who is an umpire. 
Now, when you love baseball as I do, you know that an umpire's right is the one who calls balls and strikes. He's the one that decides whether somebody is safe or out. And he's saying that we need to let the peace of Christ, the peace that comes from God, that is in our hearts, to be like that umpire in our hearts that is calling balls and strikes. In Philippians 4, Paul writes about how the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. But here he's not just speaking about individual Christians. He's speaking about the whole church. And you know that because of what he says next. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Now, of course, those two things are related. If we have the peace of God in our hearts, if we have peace with God, then we're also going to have peace with our brothers and our sisters in the house of God. And you know what you find is that when you have someone in a local church who is causing conflict, who is causing disunity in the body, what you discover is that that person typically is not at peace with God and isn't walking closely with God either. And that is why they aren't at peace with others in the body of Christ. Paul is saying, let that peace that you found with God, the peace that Christ won for us at the cross. Let that peace rule in your heart. Let that peace rule in the one body, the church, that he's called us to be a part of. Of course, our prayer is not only that we would have peace in our own local body. Our prayer is bigger than that. Our prayer is that we would have peace uh, in keeping with Jesus' prayer in John 17 that we heard a piece of on that video this morning, that, that we would have peace with our other brothers and sisters in the big C church that is made up of believers all over this area. That is why I am excited about Unite Sunday today. It's why I am excited about City Fest coming up in just six weeks. And we are living in a time where the enemy is trying to divide the church. He's trying to divide us over race. He's trying to divide us over politics. He's trying to divide us over a virus. But we will not be divided because we are one in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm excited about City Fest because I believe it's coming in God's perfect timing. We had to wait another year for it to come. But it's coming at just the right time. What an opportunity it is with everything going on in our culture for 200 churches to come together and to say, you know what, we may not agree about everything, but we do agree about the gospel. And we do agree that Jesus alone saves And so we can lock arms together with our brothers and our sisters and we can say, you know what, together we're going to invite our friends, we're going to invite our neighbors to a field in Vieira on the same two nights because we have the same prayer that on those two nights God would save hundreds and hundreds of people to faith in Jesus. That's our prayer. In a few minutes we're going to talk more about how we can be praying for just that. We we said serving Christ is about who you are. It's about how you love. It's about who you do it with. Of course, also, it's about whose name you're doing it for. You look in verse 17. This is kind of a summary statement that sums up this whole passage. Paul writes, whatever you do, in word or deed, that, that encompasses all of life. He says, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, when it says to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, one thing that means is that we must do things in a way that is in keeping with the name or with the character of Jesus. You know, in the New Testament, you won't find a laundry list of all the different do's and don'ts. 
what you do find are some principles like this one that are overarching over all of life. To do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, that's a good question to ask before you do anything. This thing that I'm about to do right now, can I do that in the name of Jesus? Can I do what I'm about to do? Is it in keeping with the character of the Lord who saved me? That's part of what it means to do it in his name. Of course, part of what it means also is that we do it for his name, that we do it for his glory. And so right now, friend, as you think about everything that you are doing, all the different ways that you're serving, everything you're doing in your life, ask yourself this question right now. Whose name are you really doing it for? So far, we've talked about the rhythm of serving Christ. We've seen how broad that topic really is. It really encompasses all of life. It really even encompasses this second related rhythm that we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about today, the rhythm of sharing Christ. If our lives are about serving Christ, then we're also going to have a regular rhythm in our life of sharing Christ with others so that they can be changed just as we have been changed. If you skip down to chapter 4, right there, the first few verses of chapter 4, Paul gives us so much to to think about uh, when it comes to sharing Christ effectively. First off, if we're going to share Christ in 2021, then we need to be praying. We need to be praying. Because here's, here's the deal, church. We, we've got to talk with God about others before we can talk with others about God. Let me say that again. We have to talk with God about others before we can talk with others about God. It starts with prayer. He says in verse 2, he calls this church to be vigilant in their prayer, to be earnest in their prayer. And, and then in verse 3, he says, and while you're praying, let me, let me throw a prayer request in there. Let me ask you to pray for something for me. And this is what he said. Meanwhile, praying also for us, for for himself, for Timothy, for his other co-workers, that God would open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Paul wasn't bashful about giving this prayer request, asking these Christians to pray for him. We shouldn't be bashful about asking other Christians to pray for us. If Paul needed prayer, you can bet that you and I need prayer as well. And what does he ask them to pray for? Now, notice, he doesn't ask them to pray that uh, he would, you know, beat his high score on Pac-Man or to pray that uh, Papa John's would come out with a stuffed crust pizza because he really likes that. He, he doesn't pray for any of that. He doesn't pray for anything for himself at all. What, what he prays for is that God might open a door so that he could tell other people about Jesus. And that's especially remarkable when you remember where Paul is at the moment that he wrote this letter. That brings me to the next point. Not only must we be prayerful, we must also be passionate. Paul was passionate about telling people about Christ. Because you know where Paul was when he wrote this letter? You remember where he was? He was sitting in a dark, damp, Roman prison cell. And then he prays to the, or asks this church to pray for him. And what he says, would you pray that God would open a door for me? And, you know, when I hear that, I think, yeah, I'd probably pray for that too. I pray for God to open a door. How about the door of the prison that I'm in right now? Let's open that door. Let's start right there. But that's not what he asked. He doesn't say, would you pray that God would open the door of my prison cell? He says, would you open a door for me to tell people about Jesus, even right where I am? It's amazing when you think about that. Church, let's pray for each other this year. Let's pray that we would be that passionate 
that if you were sitting in a prison cell and you could give out one prayer request, your prayer request wouldn't even be that you get out of jail. Your prayer request would be you could tell people about Jesus while you're in jail. That's how passionate Paul was. You know, this, this perspective that Paul has is, is personally very convicting, very challenging uh, to me. You know, back in, in December, uh, when I uh, came down with COVID and uh, it got to the point where I needed to go to the hospital for a few days, and uh, when I first got there, it was on a, uh, early on a Sunday morning, and uh, found out I was going to have to be there for, for several days, many days. I might, might even not get home in time for, for Christmas. And uh, in, in that, those first few hours in, in the hospital, uh, I feel like just in my spirit, I was just kind of down, just having a little kind of pity party for myself. Don't know if you've ever been there, but that's kind of where I was. But thankfully, uh, I got a call from, from all the pastors, a Zoom call, from all the other pastors of our church. And they began to just pray for me there in the hospital room. And it came at just the right time, such an encouragement uh, to me in that, in that moment. And one of those prayers that was prayed for me was by Pastor Doug, who's here. And, and I remember one of the things he prayed for me and said to me uh, was that, uh, uh, you know, that God would give me some opportunities during those days that I was in the hospital uh, to tell some people about Jesus. Now, and I wish I could say that the first moment I walked in the hospital, that's exactly what I was thinking. Who do you want me to tell about Jesus? But, you know, when he prayed that over me, God did something in my spirit, just began to change my perspective in that moment. And wouldn't you know it, but over the next five days that I was in that hospital, God gave me so many opportunities to tell people about Jesus. I, and people were coming in there, not just nurses, even people that came to clean the room. And uh, I, I think they were t- telling people out in the lobby or something that I was a pastor in that room. Because I'm telling you, people would come in the room, they'd just start talking about their life. They'd start talking about all the things going wrong. And, and I would say, well, I'm a pastor, can I pray for you? And they'd say, yeah, I already know, they told me that. And, um, <laughs> and so God was just giving me opportunities to share about the gospel, giving me opportunities to invite people uh, to, to worship, just, just lots of opportunities. And even while I was shut up, in that, it felt like a prison, I assure you. They don't let anybody in your room in the COVID wing. And uh, it felt like a prison. I was shut up in that hospital room, but the door was, was wide open. The door was wide open to tell people about the Lord. You know, if, if our lives are really about sharing about Jesus, then there's going to be opportunities all the time. Whether you're in prison cell like Paul, whether you're in a hospital room, wherever you are, but church, we've got to be passionate. We've got to be focused on that. We've got to be praying. Also, number three, we've got to be clear. We've got to be clear. That, that was the second part of his prayer request in verse four. He says, pray that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. The word manifest really means to make it clear. That's how the New American Standard translates that, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And sometimes I'm afraid that despite our best intentions, sometimes we do the exact opposite of that. Instead of making the the good news about Jesus simple and clear, sometimes we muddy the waters and we overcomplicate it, almost put barriers in people's way of coming to faith in Christ. And listen, when God gives you an opportunity to share with somebody about Jesus, you probably don't need to, to lead with your eschatological views on the end times probably don't need to lead in that gospel conversation with where you fall on the Calvinism to Arminian spectrum. You probably don't need to lead with the nuances of translation theory from the Greek and the Hebrew, right? In that moment, let's, let's keep it simple. And let's draw a straight line from our brokenness and our sin and our need to the hope and the peace and the life that is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The gospel is costly, but the gospel is not complicated. The 
Responding to the gospel requires repentance, but it is not rocket science. Jesus, in fact, told us that when somebody comes to him, they don't come like a PhD anyway. In fact, he said they come like a child. He said they have to come like a little child with simple, childlike faith in the Lord. And so let's be simple, let's be clear in the way that we share. And then next, verse 5, Paul says we also have to be wise. Have to be wise. In verse 5, Paul moves from his own personal prayer request to sharing some instructions with this church about how they could uh, tell others about the Lord. And this is what he says at the beginning of verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Now, those who are outside are those who are outside of the faith, those who are not yet believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and him saying that assumes that the people in this church were going to have regular interactions with people who were outside the faith. And my fear today is that oftentimes we have so insulated and isolated ourselves that, that after you've been a Christian for a number of years, you look around and you don't know anybody who is outside the faith. That might be a good question to ask yourself right now. How many people right now who don't know Jesus would consider you not just an acquaintance, but a friend? And if the answer is zero, or if the answer is only one or two, then maybe that's where we need to start, just by befriending people with an authentic love and an authentic friendship who don't yet know Christ. And then he says, in those friendships, in those relationships, we need to be wise in the way that we conduct ourselves. And the reason why that is so important is because like it or lump it, people's view of the gospel, as one person put it, is wrapped up with the way that believers who claim to have been changed by that gospel live their lives. And so when, when we say, my life has been changed by the good news of Jesus, people are watching to see if it's made any difference in your life or mine. And they're going to judge the truthfulness of what we share about Jesus by whether or not they see it lived out in our daily life. Our testimony, church, is more than just the story we tell about the day we were saved. Our testimony is being lived out every day in front of the watching world. And they're watching very closely to see if the gospel really makes any difference. He says, walk wisely among those who are outside. Know that they're watching. Make sure that the way you are living is making the gospel appear beautiful and winsome and attractive to their eyes. Not only does he see to say to be wise, he also tells us to be ready, to be ready. Look at the end of verse five. He says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. The word redeem there means to buy something back. So here he's saying we need to buy back Time. We need to buy back moments of time. In fact, the way the NASB translation puts that, it says, making the most of every opportunity. That's the idea. You know, when I think about people who seize on an opportunity, people who are bargain uh, shoppers is what comes to my mind. And I don't know how many of y'all are bargain shoppers, those who go to yard sales and, and thrift stores. You know, my wife, Megan, is kind of a bargain shopper. She loves, I think her favorite stores in the world are secondhand shops and thrift stores. I mean, she loves, she has a few kind of on a circuit. She just likes to stop by, kind of see what they have on any given day. If she can find a good bargain, she'll bring it home. It might need to be refurbished. It might need to be refinished, but she's excited about that too. And so when I get home, she's excited to show me the the things, the bargains that she has bought, the things that she has found. But there's an important truth in that because 
because, you know, when it comes to having opportunities to tell people about Jesus, which is what Paul's talking about here, what I've discovered is that normally those opportunities come to people who are looking for them. You know, I, I never find any bargain deals at thrift stores, and that's because I never go in them, right? And so... I'm never looking for them. I'm never looking for those opportunities. And many Christians are like that. I never have any opportunities because you're never looking for any opportunities. You're not praying for any opportunities. You're not asking God for them. But if you start asking God for them, suddenly you'll start seeing them. And then when those opportunities appear, we need to make the most of them. That's what Paul says here because we never know when that same opportunity is going to come in the same way again. That might be the one opportunity God gives you to share with that particular individual. Christian, who is it that you have been putting off having a spiritual conversation with? Who is it in your life that, that you know, they know you, they love you, you have earned the right to speak into their life, to share, but you have never yet invited them to trust in Jesus. Now is the time. This is the opportunity. You know, sometimes those opportunities come up when, when, when you're not expecting. They come up just in the course of a conversation. You're like halfway into that conversation until you realize, okay, God, now I know why this conversation started. But sometimes those opportunities come when you're a part of a local church because the church itself puts an opportunity in front of you on a silver platter that, that is a great opportunity to invite and to share with people. And if you're a man in our church, uh, you have one of those opportunities this weekend. With a men's conference that's happening right out here on Friday night and Saturday morning. In fact, if you're a man in our church, I don't know if you're going to have a better opportunity in 2021 than the one you have in the next seven days. To, to invite a man to come to a fun weekend. They're going to get to hang out with other men. But if they come on Friday night, they're also going to get to hear a message about how God can save somebody's life. We need to take advantage of that opportunity. We need to make the most of the opportunity. If you're a man or a woman, if you're a girl or a boy, we have an opportunity coming up in six weeks that we've been talking about all day called City Fest. This is not something that happens every day in Brevard County. I don't know that anything like this has ever happened before. So what do we need to do? We need to make the most of the opportunity. If you'll reach in the pocket in front of you, or you might have to reach a chair or two over, but you'll see a card that looks like this. And I want to encourage everybody, reach out, take one of these cards. We put them there for you today. And I'm not going to ask you to fill this out right now, but I'm just going to ask you to put that in your Bible and maybe later today or maybe tomorrow morning in your time with the Lord, you would just write down on the back of that card, you'll see there's five blanks for five names. I encourage you to write down five names of people you know that don't know Jesus. And just commit, over the next six weeks, I'm going to be praying for these five by name. You'll, you'll see it on here, but there's a way where you can actually submit your names and have the whole City Fest prayer team praying for those names as well. So it's not just you praying for them, it's all of the prayer warriors will be lifting up your friends by name to the Lord. What an opportunity we have to invite. Uh, I'm assuming that if they live locally, one of the five names that you're going to write down on that card is your one. And if you've been a part of our church for any length of time, you know that when we say your one or who's your one, that refers to the one person that more than anybody else, God has put on your heart that doesn't know Jesus that you've been praying for. Last year, we had an opportunity to come, and you see the boards here at the front of the room, to come and put a white dot on that board that represents one person, one name that we're praying for. We're going to pray for those names 
in a few minutes. And I'm going to give you an opportunity at the close of this service, if you haven't done so before, to come and put a dot on there that represents somebody that you're praying for as well. Church, this year, let's, let's make the most of every opportunity God gives us to share with our ones. Paul says to be praying. He says to be passionate. He says to be clear. He says to be wise. He says to be ready. Finally, he says to be salty. To be salty. Look at verse 6 with me. He says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. It's important not only when God gives us an opportunity that we speak, it's also important how we speak. Paul says here we need to make sure we're speaking in a gracious way, in a kind way, in a loving way. And then he says that our speech should be seasoned with salt. Now what in the world does that mean? Well, in the culture of the first century, salt was used for a lot of things. It was used as a preservative. It was also used to add flavor to something. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus wants us to live in such a way that we are a preservative in our culture, but also that we add a flavor of grace in all of our interactions with people. And here in Colossians, we find out that that saltiness also needs to show up in the way that we speak. That when we speak, it should be loving, it should be kind, it should be pure, it should be wholesome. But unfortunately, a lot of people who claim the name of Christ pepper their speech with a lot of things that should not be there. We pepper our speech sometimes with bad language, with coarse joking, with rough and rude condescension. But that kind of of pepper should never be in a Christian speech. I I know that this is a a super silly way to say this, but maybe it's silly enough that it'll help us to remember it. Here's the deal. you're, You're not Mr. Salt if you talk like Dr. Pepper. You're not Mr. Salt if you talk like Dr. Pepper. Can we remember that? We're called to be salt. We're called to speak in a salty way, in in a way that communicates grace. And the reason for that, Paul says, is so that we will know how to answer each one. Now, why does that matter? It matters because every conversation that we find ourselves in is different. We can't just give a pat answer. Every person we talk to is unique. And the way that we're going to know how to answer each one is if our hearts are filled with the grace of God. And if we've been practicing in all of our conversations, speaking in a gracious way, in a salty way, that when you find yourself in a conversation with someone who doesn't know the Lord, in that moment, the Lord will give you the exact words that you need to share. Many of you know what I'm talking about because you've experienced that firsthand. You've been in a conversation with someone talking about the things of the Lord, and, and, and you said some things, and you left that conversation. I don't even know where those things came from. But God led me. He, he led me to know how I should answer that person in that moment. What a promise that is from the Lord. Church, I want to ask you to stand with me. And in a moment, we're going to sing together. We're going to worship the Lord together. But I want to give you a minute or two right now uh, just to pray. Uh, to pray for that one that God has put on your heart that they might come to know him. Maybe it's somebody, uh, men, that you're planning to invite this weekend to the men's conference. Maybe it's one of those names that you're going to write down and invite to City Fest six weeks from now. 
Maybe it's somebody that's on your heart that doesn't even live here locally, but it's a family member, someone, a friend that is heavy on your heart. You want to see God save them. Take a minute or two right now. Pray for them. Bring that name before the Lord. together. Maybe you're here and you would say, you know, I, I know that I'm, I'm somebody that needs that forgiveness that you were talking about earlier. I, I look down at my clothes that I'm wearing right now and they're dirty and they're filthy from the life I've lived in the, the dirt pile of this world. But I need that cleansing. I need that forgiveness. I need that grace that, that you were talking about. And that grace is freely offered. We don't earn that. That's something that Christ gives to us because of what he did at the cross. And so I want to invite you. We're going to sing, but right now, if that's you, if you know, I need that grace today. I don't want to leave here without it. I want to invite you to come. Speak with me, one of the other pastors that's here. You come as we sing together.